Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Joining Gregor Robertson and I today, it is The Times Chief Football Writer, Henry Winter. Henry, great to have you on board. How are you keeping since we last spoke to you? Good, absolutely good. I'm looking forward to the games returning, trying to stay in shape. Looking, just looking forward to getting back. Yes, getting back to, to normal business as, as much as normal can be. Um, speaking of which, I know you've been speaking to a Premier League star today. What can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, Mark Noble. I mean, he's 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 great, Mark. I mean, he's just such a, a voice of sanity in a in a time when probably the world needs leaders. Um, he's involved with the uh, the Premier League captains. They've got this WhatsApp group, and they've been contacting each other for the last of ten so weeks in lockdown on how they can generate money for the NHS. Um, they had the players together. Uh, initiative and as part of that they've got sh- um, shirts for heroes so each one has provided a signed shirt and they're now um, you can bid for them for a fiver uh, a pop on um, on ebay and i just had a look on there and virgil is easily the, the, the most uh, sought after of the the 500 um, premier league players i think he was about there have been about 800 separate bids for his shirt and then, and then, obviously, Mo Salah, Marcus Rashford, Sergio Aguero, and and Mark himself. Uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, it's 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 good to see. I mean, Gregor knows this well, but it's good to see the uh, the players contributing um, so so substantially, despite what some politicians may think. Yeah, absolutely, Gregor. In that sense, you're not surprised when you hear what they're doing. No, no. I mean, we've having conversations over the last ten weeks or so, as Henry said, with some of them, and. Uh, yeah, they have. You know, I had a chat with Wes Morgan, and he was kind of saying that his ears were on fire because he'd been, he'd had a, the kind of a headset and on so many Zoom calls and conference calls with the clubs and with the captains, and you know, he was uh, doing a lot of things that you wouldn't expect of a of a captain of a football team in in these times. But uh, I think the captains have represented their clubs very well. And how are you doing, Gregor? Come on, tell me about your running. Surely <laughs> we're. we're... What is it? Under twenty one. We've got to be get under twenty one minutes now. I was under twenty one already. I was tw- what was it? Twenty one. I was twenty thirty two. Yeah, I've still not beaten. It. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm letting everyone. Sh- I shouldn't have raised this. It's like the push up challenge all over again, isn't it? It's it pressure is. on me. Maybe we should just stick to margaritas. Yeah, I'll do that. I could always do that, yeah. How are you? (laughs) I'm very well. Thank you for asking. Yes, very, very well. Coming up, we're going to talk about Jack Grealish, who also has been chatting to Henry this week. But first, it's time for this. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. The FIFA president Gianni Infantino says any footballers protesting against police brutality of black people in America 
deserve applause, not punishment. The FIFA statement comes in a week which has seen widespread demonstrations in the US and UK since the death of George Floyd in police custody in Minnesota on the 25th of May. The death has sent shockwaves around the world and Infantino is in no doubt about FIFA's stance on any on-field protests. He said, For the avoidance of doubt in a FIFA competition, the recent demonstrations of players in Bundesliga matches would deserve an applause and not a punishment. We all must say no to racism and any form of discrimination. We all must say no to violence, any form of violence. Well, FIFA rules forbid players to display political, religious or personal messages, but they've now urged competition organisers to take a common sense approach to the protests and consider the context when making decisions. The German FA have said they will take no further action against Jadon Sancho, Ashraf Hakimi, Marcus Churam and Weston McKenney for their individual protests in the Bundesliga. Sancho and Hakimi both revealed T-shirts with Justice for George messages during Dortmund's win at Paderborn. Churam took a knee after scoring for Borussia Gladbach and Schalke's American midfielder McKenney wore a Justice for George armband. Sancho was booked after displaying the message, but his yellow card will not be rescinded because it was for removing his shirt rather than for the message itself. Henry, when you hear that message from Gianni Infantino from FIFA, are you happy to hear that sort of response? Well, absolutely. And uh, I think it shows a slight new mood at FIFA, which has not always been the most principled of organisations. I think we could have seen it sort of 10, 20 years ago. I think we could have seen it during international matches, whether under UEFA's or FIFA's jurisdiction, when England's players have got been racially abused and FIFA hasn't done anything or UEFA's come out and and imposed a sort of, you know, a tiny fine, you know, despite Emil Heskey being racially abused, despite Ashley Cole being racially abused. And more recently, you know, we saw it with Tyrone Mings, uh, Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford and Callum Hudson-Odoi being racially abused. So I think, you know, the governors of the game have, you know, they've got a little bit of uh, guilt a lot of guilt. And I think it's good that they've now addressed that and they are stronger. And they've realised that that protesting against racism, this is not a political issue. This is a humanitarian. This is this is this is human. This is players doing the right thing. This is a societal problem. And football should actually be leading the fight against it. And many of the players, and Gregor knows this very well, many of the players are very socially responsible, very socially aware. They've lived through things that myself and Gianni Infantino could never have imagined growing up, the racist abuse that they would have endured as, as young players. And I think it's brilliant to see Jaden Sancho showing his support. I think it's fantastic to see, you know, if we go into a, a French context, uh, Marcus Turam, the son of the great Lillian Turam, who was a l- long-time campaigner against racism, uh, taking a, n- taking the knee in a, in a Bundesliga match. I think it's fantastic, but it's not mm. before time. And what we cannot have in this is FIFA, UEFA, the FA, making their point, all the clubs making their point about Black Lives Matter, but then moving on, this has got to be day after day. This has got to be week after week, year after year, because anyone who, who covers football matches um, just knows the problem. Anyone, you know, the black people who are protesting, rightly protesting, they understand the problem. So football can't just sort of suddenly say there's a problem. It's outrageous. And then move on to going, going back to arguing simply about VAR. This has got to be for good forever, not simply for a week. I I totally agree with everything you've said, Henry. 
there will be some, though, that will not appreciate players having messages on their shirts, for example. They will say that the pitch should remain neutral. Where would you stand on that, Henry? Well, I'd think that they can go back to the dark ages if they want. <laughs> they, they, they can stay with their small-minded, blinkered views. I think that people like them, have, when they've said that in the past, you know, 20, 30 years ago, maybe the football thought, well, actually, listen, this, you know, racism will, will go away. But clearly it hasn't. And that's why their views are, I mean, no one really takes those views seriously. I mean, when you see things like that on, on social media, you know, I mean, I don't think people take them seriously because you've only got to look with your own eyes about what is happening um, to realise that, if anything, things have worsened. So their attitudes are even more outdated. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gregor, as we've heard there, Gianni Infantino has said that players shouldn't be punished for displaying any sort of messages. Is football doing enough then by allowing them to do that? Well, Henry says it's a it's a... A step forward. I have to be honest and think that kind of the sort of crit- critical mass of anger that's felt at the moment around around the world and around this issue, you know, it's it's blown up it's to something enormous. I feel that they really couldn't have taken any other position at the moment. So as Henry said, what is important is when this this passes is that there's the same approach and attitude to racism expressed by FIFA and by football clubs and by uh, governing bodies towards any racism and, and that continues in the future. That is what is key because, as I say, I think there was no other position to take. I think I think what is, is really encouraging is so many players, I think, they don't care now. You know, even if FIFA had said, said no, no, you can't do this, I don't mm. think it would have made the blind, blindest bit of difference. This is, a you know, players are engaged, as Henry said, and more politically engaged, I think, than certainly during my time as a player. Uh and this matters to them, uh, so I think you know FIFA. Were, there was no other position FIFA could have taken. It's, what is key is is that we remember this. Actually, yes, uh, absolutely. But as I was saying, Sancho's yellow card won't be rescinded because it was given out for removing his shirt. So, Henry, in that sense, should players still be booked, uh, even though actually what Jaden Sancho was doing was to reveal a, a, a very strong and important message. You know, the way football is going and the way that the players, whether you want to call it militancy or I would call it actually taking responsibility of a a world crisis, I think we can actually see um, messages being stitched into shirts. I think that the players are now so powerful. I think the clubs have realised they've actually got to take a stance as well. So actually, what is that then going to do if you've got anti-racism messages being stitched into the fabric of shirts that would make it even more of a mockery of players being booked. I think the key word, and and, um, Gregor touched on this, the key word is that the governing body's attitude and the FA's stance about common sense. And I hope that is now applied to referees uh, taking common sense uh, approach. I mean, before matches, you know the the the, the players are checked for jewellery. They check for for their studs. Obviously, it's difficult in the age of players coming back into uh, in, into a pandemic and how much a referee can actually check. But you know, a referee can easily go into a dressing room or in the tunnel when the players are going out and say, "Right, just lift your shirt just to see what shirt you've you know what uh, what you've got underneath." But no one can object to what Jaden Sancho did. If anything, Jaden Sancho should be applauded, not criticised or fined. Kevin Prince Boateng has called on football to do more in the fight against racism. Boateng 
who walked off the pitch in 2013 after suffering racist abuse whilst playing for AC Milan, believes some players are scared to protest for fear of repercussions. This is what he said. I can understand because it is an uncomfortable position. Many, many people think if I share, repost or say something wrong, I will lose my sponsorship. They have to be comfortable. This is something bigger than a sponsor or anything like that. In the moment, if you say the wrong words, but you mean the right thing, you will never do wrong when you try to help the human race. Well, the anti-racism charity Kick It Out have urged black players to take a knee if they wish to demonstrate when the Premier League restarts, echoing the protest made famous by former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick in 2016. Kaepernick has never played in the NFL again since that 2016 season. So, Gregor, when you hear what's happened to, to someone like Colin Kaepernick, can you understand how some players may well be nervous about actually protesting? Yes, I mean, I think I think the reality is that um, some players are the, the the truth is some players will be kind of in self preservation mode, and that some of that does come down to money. Uh, some players that there's different characters in football. Some who some might regard it as weak as you not not someone who speaks out or if you fail to use your platform. But the reality is there's very different characters within the game. Um, and and you can understand. I think you know. Even it's interesting this week. Mesut Ozil losing the contract with Adidas, and some people raised the question of whether that had anything to do with them raising the plight of of uh, Uyghur Muslims in China in December. I think it was. Uh, I, it, th- th- there can be re- repercussions, and Colin Kaepernick is a, is the prime example of that. Um, so, I, I, well, it has it has to be. There has these decisions have to be. Um, from governing bodies and football clubs, but even then, you 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 stray into the territory of, of sounding like corporate messaging and and a PR exercise almost, uh, when football clubs and governing bodies are still shirking the tough decisions, uh, whether that's in terms of football, you know, how many black managers football has, um, how many people in positions of power and directors, administrative roles there are that are of BAME. Uh, I, these are these are the real sort of structural, um, systemic issues that that are racism in society and football is no different. So I, I can understand why foot, why footballers and individuals, you know, that it's their own personal decision. But football clubs uh, are really the ones who have to take the lead. I think. Yeah, I mean that is it, isn't it, Henry? We we're seeing some individuals now coming out and and making their stance, but do the authorities need to do more? Do the Premier League need to come out with a blanket support for Black Lives Matters in the same way that it has with Kick It Out? I think it's being driven by the players, and I think that's fantastic. I think that is, you know, they've, they've rightly had enough. I, I was surprised in England's last international, the, uh, the game in Bulgaria, the Sofia game, when they were racially abused by a group of Bulgarian fans, that they didn't walk off. And I was slightly disappointed they didn't. And I've been I've been talking to some of the players beforehand because of the abuse they'd had in, you know, in in, in recent games in 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 different countries. And they said at some point you're going to have to walk off without sounding like a you know a broken record. Um, it's they have to take action. And I think increasingly they are. And when England next are out on the road, and the next time they get racially abused, probably in Eastern Europe, sadly, it's it's a fact of life. I think they will walk off. Mm-hmm. And so I think the players are actually driving this. I think there's a we've got a very socially aware group of enfranchised, emboldened players led 
in an inverted commas because it's a collective, but led or certainly the tone set by Raheem Sterling with his Instagram message. It was a couple of years ago, which made our industry wake up to an extent, which, you know, which challenged a lot of fans. I think if you if you t- talk to Jaden Sancho, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Marcus Rashford, you know, these are very strong individuals. So I take the point about governing bodies. I take the point about clubs and brands, but I think they're following the players because players now are so powerful because of, you know, I mean, Marcus Rashford's got, what, about 20 million people following on, on social media. He's got a huge reach. You, you, you know, you've seen with the work that he's done during the lockdown with the, you know, feeding you know, hundreds of thousands of people through his charity and through his, you know, pushing this on social media. Players are where the power lies now. And I think what is going to be interesting moving forward, and maybe this is one of the reasons why FIFA have acted, is that maybe one or two of the players will look towards the next World Cup, look at Qatar, look at certain things that have gone on in Qatar and say, actually, we've got an issue with playing here. So, I mean, the players, the players where the power lies at the moment. Mm. Just to touch on what you said then about the England team, for example, do you think they are so together now that they would all collectively walk off if needed? probably a question you should actually pose to, to, to Gregor, but from my understanding, looking at it from the press box of the England team and the players' dynamic, I thought it was very interesting that Harry Kane stood up and he went over to, to the officials in Sofia when the players got racially abused. I mean, Tyrone Mings was racially abused in the warm-up. UEFA should have acted there. When it happened in the first half, Harry Kane took responsibility. And this was something that Lewis Hamilton, who doesn't get, in my, I mean, I'm not a, Formula One fan, but looking at him as a as a leader, as a role model, Lewis Hamilton speaks so much sense, and actually, too few people really listen to him. I think they're listening to him now. And what he did with his, I think it was his Instagram message on the back of the uh, the, the, the killing of George Floyd, is that actually white drivers have got to call this out as well. And I think then, sort of seven or eight of them did respond and said, "Listen, you know, Black Lives Matter." Um, but I think what we're seeing in football is it's far more of a collective in the uh, in, in the dressing room and white voices are being heard as well as obviously the, the rightly strident and angered black voices. Mm. Gregor, do, do you agree with that then, that it is a more united front when it comes to all these, these issues that we're, we're discussing? Yeah, I mean, look, Henry's absolutely right. The players are... That, that kind of balance, the dynamic now has changed that players are. I do have so, so much more power. And so it's both highly encouraging, but also, as my point really was, I didn't articulate very well, it's slightly sad that, that it falls upon individuals like that when, and they're not always protected or they're football clubs, by the football clubs or the governing bodies. So, yes, this is great. And these, these guys, a lot of young English footballers as well, I would imagine when the Premier League starts, if this is still a, a burning issue, which I would see it will be, they will, they will take a stand in some way. Uh, and that's great, but it's also we, we need to see things from we need to see those structural and and systemic issues those, that that racism throughout society and football and governing bodies that is the thing that has to change for it not to fall upon individuals. Don't you think actually that process and I completely agree with you, but that process in terms of enlightening the sporting bodies will actually happen when more black players decide okay they can go into coaching although many feel there's a glass ceiling or they can go into the media or property businesses because they've made money whatever but actually some of them will actually want to go 
and say, right, I'm going to turn UEFA around from within. I'm going to try and turn the FIFA around from within and bring my expertise, my experiences, the horrific things that you know I've endured on my journey to the top and also while being at the top and bring that experience. Sadly, I think some of them will say, actually, we can't see them changing. But actually, if you've got a Raheem Sterling into the Exco at FIFA or UEFA or onto the board of, uh, of the FA, actually, I think that's where you really begin to see proper structural change. Well, Boateng has also hit out at the current fines and sanctions for racist behaviour from football supporters. He said, for me, it's a joke. At the beginning, I thought it could work, but people feel too comfortable. They can sit there and shout the N-word at us. The policeman felt comfortable kneeling on Floyd's neck. That's the problem. They feel comfortable because there are no consequences. What is the consequence, he asks? You cannot go to the stadium anymore. Fine, no problem. A fine of $35,000 for a club? What is that? That's why people are comfortable. And Henry, I know you touched on the issue with UEFA's fines and and the way that they deal with with racist behaviour from some countries that we've seen of late. Is a starting point for football to tackle racism, to take a stronger stance? Is that where we need to to try and make a positive change that UEFA and, and FIFA need to come down harder? I think the starting point is more societal. It's it's to do with education. I think that, you know, you're, I mean, UEFA and FIFA, they're not going to fight racism with hashtags. They're not going to fight it with small fines. They might fine it to, to address it to an extent with, uh, with maybe banning countries from, organize, from, uh, from their events. But I think ultimately this, is, this, ha- this has to be addressed in schools. I mean, as everyone says, you know, a kid isn't born racist. It's environment, it's maybe education, maybe one or two parental influences, bad influences are, are around them. Let's address it in, uh, in schools first. I mean, John Barnes gets a little bit of criticism over some of the stances he takes. But when I wrote a book with him sort of 20, 30 years ago, you know, this was on the back of the abuse, the racist abuse that he got uh, at Goodison and at other places. And he very calmly said the way to address it is education, education, education. And I think that is key. So look, I agree with you. I think UEFA and FIFA can do more. But I think ultimately it's society's got to get a grip of this first. And I know you, you mentioned Lillian Churam. You've also been writing this week about meeting Lillian Churam, who is now helping in the fight against racism. There are a lot of figures who are doing what they can to try and re-educate you know, Lillian Turam is a remarkable individual. And 12 years ago, I, I had the opportunity to go to an exhibition at the World Museum in Liverpool. And it was an exhibition on slavery. And Lillian Turam, I think he was he was doing something with the sort of PFA or kick it out. And I got the opportunity to sit down and talk to him. And he's, his girlfriend at the time, who was a remarkable television presenter. And she was totally emotionally engaged in the conversation. And this wasn't simply a conversation about racism now. This was going back to the the Treaty of Berlin, whatever, 200 odd years ago, and how the colonies in Africa were were divided up. Lillian Shuram spoke so powerfully about it, and he had the opportunity to go and advise the the French government. And I, I like that in the French system, that actually they are intelligent enough and enlightened enough to go and invite a formerly, a, a recently retired player and draw on his expertise. I would love to do that. Look, I can't imagine Boris Johnson ringing up Raheem Sterling and saying, can you come and sort of explain to me what it's like 
trying to settle in this in this country in in West London with only one parent and the problems you've you've got you know where that you grew up in 20 miles away from Eton I think that would be so sort of slightly difficult but actually it's kind of what we need coming back to this using players you know players expertise so yeah look Lillian Charam is a remarkable individual very impressive on the field obviously is a world cup winner off the field as well and I think his son is clearly shown that as well Marcus Hi, I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. Off Air with Jane and Fee is going live. We are taking to the stage at the amazing Crucible Theatre in Sheffield on Friday the 31st of May. It'll be a night full of surprises. We'll have a special guest, we'll involve you in the audience and we'll embarrass ourselves. You really won't want to miss it. Well, the surprises, we don't yet know what's in it, so it genuinely is a night of surprises. Well, you've surprised me already. Uh, it's not just us. Our live show is part of an exciting new podcast festival called Cross wires which is taking place in some really amazing venues across sheffield from the 31st of may to the 2nd of june so other podcasters that you'll be able to see include katie price Catherine ryan ramesh ranganathan and the original adam buxton but there's also a whole host of free fringe events family shows surprise acts and after parties that jane and i haven't yet been invited to I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Head to crosswires.live for tickets and more information. Let's finish by talking about Jack Grealish. As Henry, you've been speaking to him for The Times this week. After a superb season, Grealish made the front pages during lockdown, having been partying at a friend's house and then pictured standing outside his damaged car. Uh, Henry, it obviously caused a lot of controversy, those pictures that we saw during lockdown. Do you think he's put that incident behind him now? I'm not sure fans will let him put it behind him. No. I think it, it takes a little bit of time to address it. Look, he's he's done all the right things since making that bad mistake. He's 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 been doing his work for the NHS. He's been raising money. So, you know... The, the, if the damage, look, there's damage to him reputationally, he knows he's got to go and improve and improve and work harder. He's been talking, obviously, to his manager, Dean Smith, who, who tragically, his his father passed away. Um, you know, he was, he's, he's been in a care home struggling with dementia. So I think that brought it home even more to, to, to Jack Grealish about, you know, he's got responsibilities. He's the captain. Dean Smith made him captain. He's a, he is a role model. He he admits that. I mean, I I hope he has learned. Um, you know, he's he's twenty four, and if he spoke so passionately about obviously playing for Aston Villa, obviously being a sort of son of the Holt End and wanting to represent Villa fans properly and you know get them out of this relegation situation, but also he spoke very passionately about wanting to play for England one day. Now, as everyone knows about Gareth Southgate, he likes in quotes, good citizens. He wants people who will represent the shirt, the country, the team well. You know, he doesn't want them to, to, to hear them. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what happens to, to Kyle Walker and, and Kieran Trippier after their recent issues, whether Jack Grealish will, you know, will then be given a chance. So, look, he's such a talent. He's 24. He's been playing superbly at the start of the season. The goal against Manchester United. I think Jamie Carragher had him in his team of the first two thirds of the season, you know, in a midfield with Jordan Henderson and Kevin De Bruyne. So that, you know, that's pretty impressive. So, look, the talent's there. You've just got to focus a little bit more and not mm. make not make daft decisions yeah i mean gregor as as henry's just pointed out it was a daft decision that he made but can he make amends on the pitch 
Yeah, well, he's, I don't think he has to make amends in the pitch for uh, where Villa fans are, are concerned. And I think, as Henry says, probably he is looking at um, some a lot of supporters. There was a lot of anger at that time and a lot of kind of... You know, it was a difficult time for the for the country. It still is, and uh, but that was a kind of peak moment where the where the, there was a lot of alarm. You could understand the anger, though, couldn't you? Yes, you could. Uh, it, was, it was a silly decision, mm. um, especially after he'd just come out and and uh, told everyone else to stay indoors. You know, yes. um, so yeah, but he's a young lad, and it was a, he's made a mistake, and he's kind of shown he's shown that he's sorry. Um, and he, as Henry says, he's been magnificent this season. Uh, I think I think when it comes to England, I think I don't I don't, I don't think the two I think the the issue with with uh, with Gareth Southgate is is that it's the same with Madison as well. I think the as Henry says, he, he likes good citizens. He likes players who are kind of he feels he can rely upon. And um, I, you know, I think that I think there probably has been a little question mark over over both of those players' heads. Um, and so with the likelihood of them both playing in the same England team, I would say, is, is pretty slim. I'd also say that part of that is because who, who plays behind them is also a big issue for England in midfield. So, you know, if if you're playing one defensive midfielder and allowing those two guys to go and, and roam free, you're, you're going pretty gung-ho. So, um, But look, he gets back to playing football this season and I'm sure he'll, he'll have a massive role of filler to stay up. Mm. Well, Grealish also discussed their preparations for recommencing the Premier League behind closed doors, which includes attempting to reduce the amount of swearing on the pitch, the potential use of artificial crowd noise that Grealish says he would be fine with, but also about how much he will miss the crowd, home and away. He says, uh, I love it when people are on my back and targeting me. I always remember when I was a kid, and I'm not saying I am anywhere near his level, but Cristiano Ronaldo used to come to Villa and the fans used to absolutely cane him. It used to make me and my dad laugh obviously I'd never cane him because I used to look up to him he used to thrive off it Grealish says and that is what I try to do I try to thrive off the hatred from the fans when it comes to the home games I get a lot of love off the Villa fans I also thrive off that so it will be different having no fans there Gregor we know that obviously with the Premier League coming back there will be no fans it will all be played behind closed doors so how much can fan abuse actually spur you on uh, I, I think it can, yeah. I think it slightly depends on the on the character, but um, of the player. But I, th- I think certainly can. I mean, how many players say that in half of their motivation is proving people wrong? So, <laughs> I mean, we've all watched the Michael Jordan documentary. He used to make up <laughs> make up instances of people, <laughs> uh, other players, or or the team manager or anyone. He sort of made up a slight in his head and. Just to kind of fire him up a little bit more, and I think, I think undoubtedly for the right for this for a certain character, proving people wrong or proving how good you are is a, is a huge motivational tool. Um, obviously, there won't be fans in the stadium to do that just now, but um, that certainly is something that I think someone like Jack Grealish, who you could tell, likes to be the centre of attention. He likes to have the ball all the time. He likes to be Villa's main man. I would imagine that would be something he's got no problem with at all. Mm. Uh, but having said that, though, um, he wants to be the man-man. And he thrives off the love that he gets from the Villa fans. He also enjoys the hatred, Henry, that he, he gets from opposition fans. Can he then perform in a in a game where there are no fans, do you think? 
Oh, I'm sure he can. I mean, he's he's got such a talent, and he also knows what a situation that Aston Villa are in, uh, and that they need him. There will be a, an obligation on him. I think even more after his little lockdown mishap. So uh, I don't think he'll. Obviously, you know, he he, he takes inspiration uh, from uh, you know from the you know the, 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 when the fans are there. But absolutely, I think he. And I think he did make the point as well. If 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 I remember rightly, he said, "Well, okay, so there might not be fans there, but I know people are not just going to be watching all over the country on television. They're going to be watching all over the world." So I think he knows very much that you know he, he every touch that he has will be scrutinised. He also knows that Gareth Southgate won't be in the ground; that he will be watching from home. Well, Grealish also discussed whether the lack of crowds could improve some players. He says, I've played with a few players in my time who were unbelievable in training. The best I have ever played with, but couldn't really cut it on a match day. There are definitely some players out there who will thrive off the fact there are no fans. But saying that, once the Premier League is back on TV, everyone, as Henry, you just alluded to there, in the world will be watching. Gregor, can you understand what Jack Grealish is saying there? That actually some players do fare better in training than than on the pitch and perhaps vice versa. Absolutely, yeah. Um, there have always been players throughout my career, certainly, who you watched in training Monday to Friday and, and thought what an incredible player they were. And then they either couldn't get in the team or they just, when they did, then they got a chance, they just didn't perform in the same way. And some of that's to do with the kind of maybe not having a, a role in the team. But other, other players certainly have had... Um, have issues with kind of the pressure or hearing hearing any slights from the crowd or anything like that. There was actually there was one player in particular, and I don't feel bad about naming him now because I saw he did an interview about this recently. A guy called uh, Paulo Vernazza, who he began at, at Arsenal and he played a, played a quite a, good, a few good, few games for Arsenal and um, went to Watford. And I played with at Rotherham United, and honestly, I've never really. Very few players I played with were as technically capable as as uh, Paolo Vernazza was, and he was the best player in training every single day, and he couldn't get in the team. And when he did, he just didn't have the same effect. And and he's since admitted that it was he felt the pressure more of uh, from playing in front of fans and playing in, and also he, he, if he lost confidence, then that would be a kind of a bit of a cycle. Um, a downward spiral for him. So it's undoubtedly, there there are players that mm. that feel that way. So it, it could be interesting. I mean, these are all majority of them are seasoned professionals in the Premier League, and I, I can't see. You know, there might be the odd young player who gets an opportunity that we don't. It'd be hard to sort of pinpoint just now. Looking at it before, I would if I was to pick any team who would benefit, it would be Norwich City, because none of the none of none of their players. I think only Grant Hanley and the goalkeeper uh, Cruel. Really, everyone else. This is their first taste of Premier League action, and and it, you know it's a huge, huge step up, big, bigger, bigger platform. Um, and if there was one team I was to pick, I would say Norwich City could kind of throw off the shackles a little bit in these final games. Really? So, in some ways, without a crowd, they will better perform, is what you're suggesting? Well, there's no what we, what we already know, and there's been you know there's been studies, and we spoke about this recently, is that the 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 home advantage is all but wiped away now, so they don't have that to to kind of uh, to go up against, and 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 when they travel away from home, and you know I think I think that they're one team that you know that might have been something if they're travelling to Old Trafford or they're travelling to uh, Anfield places like that, and they you know 
they've never played there before. Most of these players had never played played at these venues uh, in front of these these crowds in this atmosphere and on this stage, and so the opportunity now to go there and none of the surroundings and none of the sort of sensory overload that goes with it is there. So who knows? I would think that if, as I say, if I was to pick a team, that would be the team I would say who possibly will benefit from this. And just to finish off on that Norwich point that you just made, they're six points off safety as things stand. Do you think they could get themselves out of it? And in some ways, this predicament they find themselves in, they will benefit from it as a result, obviously. I don't know. That'd be clear prediction. I think, I think, um, well, I'm just fascinated by it that you've gone to Norwich. Norwich Norwich have won a lot of plaudits this season. They've played good football and they've got some really good players. Someone like Todd Cantwell has been a revelation in his first season. So so obviously there are players who have stepped up and and played very well and performed well. Um, But I I just, I I think that every every other team really, if you look at, Villa have got a lot of experienced players. Uh, and every other team has really been in the Premier League for for at least a few seasons now. Um, Sheffield United are already flying high, and I, you know I, I was thinking about them, but I think they've they've done so well regardless. And and actually, the the sort of power of having the, their home support at Bramall Lane could be something that that they really miss out on. I, I mean, it's it's all guessing games, but I think I would say Norwich uh, Norwich could do well from this. Henry, does that surprise you? Can you understand where Gregor's coming from? Um, sure. I, well, I completely agree with him. Is, is I just don't think you can predict anything. We don't know how, how <laughs> teams no. are going to... Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, it's interesting. You talk to, to, to teams like Sheffield United. Sheffield United, I mean, they sound, every one of them, completely behind the manager's decision, the fitness, everything about it. And one thing I'll say about Norwich is that I saw them at the start of the season at Anfield. And they were getting absolutely whacked. I think it was about sort of 4-0. But they kept playing their game. It was like the 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 actual the stage didn't actually worry them so much. And even though they were 4-0 down, they just kept playing. I think Puki got a goal to, towards the end. And they kept on playing. They kept on passing. So I do think they have that belief. Um, but maybe that's an acceptance that you know they, they probably know that they're going to go down. But they're going to go down passing away. Plus also a lot of players in, in that team will will get picked up and stay in the in the Premier League if, if Norwich do get to, do get relegate, relegated. But what absolutely what I can completely agree with uh, with with Gregor is it's very hard to predict. You know what mood will Liverpool be in after they've won those two games that's got them the title? Will they? Some of them immediately start thinking about next season. Um, Manchester City, what mood will they be in? Will they, you know, because it's it's twenty five points. It's obviously too much to, to to make up. Will they then be saying, right, let's pace ourselves and let's focus on the Champions League? So, look, there's so many variables, and I'm sure they will be dissected by supporters and, and us journalists, you know, in the next sort of fortnight leading up to it. But, I mean, maybe you'll have like in in Germany, and you've had Bayern Munich sort of just carrying on like their amazing machine. And, yeah. and and that will carry on. But uh, I, I, I'm absolutely fascinated and I'm just praying the office don't ask me to write a, a preview to who's <laughs> going to do well and who's <laughs> going to do badly because I have not got a clue. <laughs> well, back on to Grealish then. He says that uh, he's still yet to win his... We know, of course, he's still yet to win his first England cap, but says it's never far from his mind. A million percent, he says. There were times when I was playing in the championship, it looked quite far away. But I've always believed in myself and knew that once I was back playing in the Premier League and to the best of my ability, I would get my chance, hopefully. 
Now, we've spoken about his off-field behaviour. Couple, couple that with his maverick style on the pitch. Does that make him more or less of an appeal, Henry, do you think, to Gareth Southgate? Well, I think Gregor touched on this earlier. In fact, so where does he necessarily fit in if it's going to be him and, and Madison? Henderson's going to be in there. Deli Alley's going to be in there. Um, Gareth Southgate loves Declan Rice. So it's a, a central midfield three. And, you know, there's Mason Mount, you know, a, ahead of them. I mean, it's interesting where you see Jack Grealish's best position is. I mean, Madison, obviously, I think thrives best centrally. Um, Jack Grealish, 10, he loves that idea of being the sort of, you know, the central string puller. But actually, some of the best games I've seen him play for Villa, particularly at Villa Park, is cutting in off the uh, the, the, the left. He, he makes a very interesting point that John McGinn coming back will take a lot of the opposition's focus away from him because McGinn's such a sort of talented, creative fulcrum. Um, so, I, look, I think he can... I think they're people ahead of him. I think it's it's fair to fair to say Phil Foden as well, slightly different player, but he will come in there. So, I mean, the good thing from England's perspective um, is that they've got options in central midfield, but it's you know it's it's not completely right yet. And never rule out Delhi Alley because Gareth Southgate does like him in the, in that position almost as an eight. Well, Grealish has been discussing the idea of partnering James Madison. I know you brought this one up already, Gregor. Uh, he says, me and Madders have said so many times we think we could definitely play together. I, I think we'd be brilliant together, he says. Hopefully in the future that that can happen. Now, obviously, we all know that you're Scottish, Gregor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but does the idea, forget, the, forget you're Scottish right now, <laughs> but the idea of Grealish and Madison together, does, does that sound... Like, like an Scotland exciting strip. no, <laughs> but does it sound like an exciting opportunity for Gareth Southgate? Uh, I don't. I, I, I don't think it's likely. I think you know if if Grealish was to play wide, then potentially Madison central. But I don't think the two of them in in the same kind of three in midfield is is likely to happen. And as I say, partly that's to do with who they would who would partner them with. Some partly that's to do with. Henderson being guaranteed of place, um, and I think you know he's, he is looking for some. But either then, is Henderson going to be the deep line midfielder or someone who's allowed to, allowed to kind of roam forward a little bit more? Um, Southgate's a big fan of Harry Winks, uh, as Henry said, De- Declan Rice. So there's a lot of competition. And then when you look at the competition on the on the wing for for Grealish, then with Jaden Sancho and Rashford and Sterling, I mean. Yeah, as I've said many times in this podcast, it's a little bit uh, worrying how, how good a squad England have now, and uh, <laughs> and that you can't you can't even guarantee a place in the squad for Grealish and Madison is is uh, kind of says that emphatically. Well, we'll see then what happens with Jack Grealish and whether or not he gets that opportunity for England. That is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and to Henry as well. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. All you have to do is search The Times subscription for more information. We will be back with you on Monday for the latest game podcast. Enjoy your weekend and stay safe. <laughs> 